Welcome to Legal Toolkit, bringing you the latest legal trends and business initiatives to help you manage your law firm with your host, Jared Correa. You're listening to Legal Talk Network. Hello and welcome to a new episode of the Legal Toolkit here on the Legal Talk Network. If you were looking for the new season of Westworld and if you can find it and explain it to me, that would be awesome. So is everyone a robot or what's happening? If you're a returning listener, welcome back. If you're a first time listener, hopefully become a long time listener. And if you're Brian Colangelo of the Philadelphia 76ers, at least as of this recording, you should endeavor to familiar yourself with HIPAA laws. As always, I'm your show host, Jared Correa. And in addition to casting this pod, I'm the CEO of Red Cave Law Firm Consulting, which offers subscription-based law practice management consulting services for law firms and bar associations. Check us out at redcavelegal.com. If you're starting a law firm, we're hosting exclusive workshops in Boston and New York this August and September. Find out more at buildyourownlawfirm.com and start your new law firm with confidence, especially if you happen to be an associate who wants to do your own thing instead. Finally, you can listen to my other other podcast, The Lobby List, a family travel show I host with my wife, Jessica, on iTunes. Rate us there and comment. But here on the Legal Toolkit, we provide you each month with a new tool to add to your own legal toolkit so that your practices will become more and more like best practices. In this episode, we're going to talk about how to be a better law firm associate. But before I introduce today's guest, let's take a moment to thank our sponsors. Scorpion crushes the standard for law firm online marketing with proven campaign strategies to get attorneys better cases from the internet. Partner with Scorpion to get an award-winning website and ROI-positive marketing programs today. Visit scorpionlegal.com forward slash podcast. Next, we'd like to thank our sponsor, Thomson Reuters Firm Central, cloud-based legal practice management that streamlines your day and automates non-billable administrative tasks so you can accomplish more with less. Answer One is a leading virtual receptionist and answering services provider for lawyers. You can find out more by giving them a call at 800 Answer One or online at www.answerone.com. That's www.answer the number one.com. All right, my guest today is Jay Harrington of the aptly named Harrington Marketing Agency. Don't know how he came up with that one. Um, Jay is an attorney and the chief strategist at Harrington. Jay previously practiced law as a commercial litigator and corporate bankruptcy attorney at Skadden Arps. He also co-founded and ran a boutique corporate restructuring firm in Detroit. Jay played college baseball at Bowling Green State University. He's married to his business partner and they have three children, including twins who have different birthdays. His writing is featured in monthly columns for Attorney at Work and Legal Inc. magazine. Jay's new book, which we're going to talk about today, is called The Essential Associate, Step Up, Stand Out, and Rise to the Top as a Young Lawyer. That's available right now. Jay's also the author of a prior book called One of a Kind, A Proven Path to a Profitable Law Practice. And that one is about niche practice. Welcome to the show, Jay Harrington. Thanks, Jared. It's great to be here. Yeah, this is good. I don't think we've done a podcast together before. So this is long overdue. And I apologize because I should have had you on before this. I blame myself. No worries. I think we did a webinar way back, but this is our first podcast. So I'm excited Uh, to be here. Okay, what will we do next? Who knows? Stay tuned. Let's talk briefly about your college baseball career. Were you a better baseball player than Danny Ainge? <laughs> um, uh, that's a way, that takes me way back. Um, <laughs> you know, I appreciate the question. Not often am I asked to compare myself to a 
two-time NBA champion. Um, but we're talking baseball here. But uh, sadly, yeah, uh, Danny Ainge was was better than me. I think he <laughs> he certainly got a few at bats in the major leagues with the Toronto Blue Jays. The only thing I think we had in common was we both played second base. <laughs> oh, second base. That's a great position. Very underrated. Although Danny H didn't do very much with um, his at-bats in the majors. However, I have no complaints about how he's running the Celtics right now. So let's get into like the real stuff here, why people are listening. And let's talk about associate attorneys and law firms. So how does an associate attorney become good at being an associate attorney? Because it's not essentially obvious. And I think there's a mindset component here. And I think the question is like, how can young associates take ownership of their careers or feel like they're taking ownership of their careers when that seems to go against like everything that you would suspect is required of actually working in a law firm as an associate? Yeah, you know, it all does come down to having that ownership mindset. Uh, I think that's the most important predictor of success for a young lawyer. And that means many things, but um, broadly speaking, it means being accountable for everything you do and that ranges from the work product you produce to your overall career trajectory. And I, I think, you know, in my book, in the research phase of it, I spoke to dozens of successful lawyers and general counsel, and the ability to take ownership as a, an associate is probably the biggest thing that they mentioned distinguished high-performing associates from, from those who are just sort of getting by and, and middle of the pack. And I guess that makes sense, right? Because if you think yeah. about it from their perspective, which is the perspective that matters if you're thinking about advancing within a law firm, they're very busy. They have a ton of responsibilities on their plate. And so they need good people and are working underneath them who they can trust, whose work they can trust, who can take a project, take an objective and actually achieve it from start to finish. And um, it's really about, you know, when you think about it, unfortunately, uh, throughout your career as an associate, that means doing a lot of things that may not be all that exciting or interesting. You know, it's the, it's the <laughs> grunt work that we all faced as young lawyers that um, yeah. you really don't want to do. Uh, you'd prefer to pass off to somebody else or just hope it goes away. But it's the kind of <laughs> stuff that you need to embrace and accomplish in order for you to develop the level of trust you need with your superiors. And so it's really about um, doing the little things well, because if you don't do the little things well and take ownership over them, then you'll never be entrusted to do the big things. So it's really taking that Taking those tasks you're assigned, um, doing them well, taking ownership of them, and then, you know, being then in a position to take on bigger things as you advance in your career. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think ownership has many different aspects to it. Mm. I think yep. one of the big ones is being able to see the big picture, understanding not only what task you've been assigned, but what the ultimate objective is. I mean, if you think about it, you know, you might be assigned to do X, but if you're really taking ownership of it and understanding what the client objective is ultimately, in the course of that work, you may unearth, you know, Y and Z, which are other possible options or possible courses of action or things that other people missed that could have a significant impact on the ultimate outcome. So understanding that big picture from the start is, is keeping that in mind is very important. It involves leadership. You know, even as a young associate, there's still people within the firm. They may be the paralegals assigned to the case, your administrative assistant or other associates who um, you need to make sure are doing their jobs as well. So, you know, yeah, ownership is about stretching yourself. And as the old saying goes, you know, growth comes from discomfort, um, getting out of your zone of comfort. 
and stepping into things that may not feel comfortable, but after achieving them, then they start to become routine. And that allows you to kind of level up in your career. There's a number of aspects to it, but it's really just about taking on everything that you have and doing it to the best of your ability, which allows you to do bigger and more interesting things as you progress and, and earning that trust that you need with your superiors. Who knew practice of law was boring? No, I kid. So one thing you mentioned is, you know, it's still a job. It's still all about the billables, right? Like that's still a thing. So I think there's a little bit of a balancing act here. And I want to ask you two questions about this. And the first one is like, how can an associate be as productive as possible with like these billable hour requirements raining down on them and still be able to work on their personal brand within the firm? Sure. So I think productivity in general and grappling with that tension between what you need to do, which is achieve your billable hour marks and what you need to be doing, which is, yeah, doing the things that matter, doing the things that will help you advance in your career is, is kind of a, a tricky tricky one to balance. But um, more than anything, it's really about understanding what is important and what is necessarily not important. Because at the end of the day, it doesn't matter so much what you're getting done if what you're getting done doesn't really make an impact. So yeah, billables are certainly important. But if, you know, presented with the option between an associate who is billing a ton of hours and not really moving the needle forward all that much, and another who might be middle of the pack in terms of billable hours, but is, is again, making a big impact and really, um, you know, producing work of real value, the latter is, is always going to be advanced at a faster rate um, and more valued yeah. by their superiors because at the end of the day, yes, billables matter, but the quality and the consistency of your work is, is what really makes a difference. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think that in order to do that, it's all about, there's a few aspects to it, I think, in terms of being productive enough to be able to get done what you need to get done, and then finding time for the priorities that really matter and make a significant impact on you. And so there's a few things there. I mean, one is, I guess, creating an environment in which you can find the time and be able to prioritize those things that matter. So minimizing distractions, things you've heard before, you know, staying off social media, not being instantly responsive to email all the time, not allowing all the inputs that are flying at you as a busy young lawyer distract you from your big priorities. And then it's also a matter of capturing and distilling all of the data and inputs and priorities that are swirling around you. So I'm a big fan of creating to-do lists. You know, a simple, simple thing like a to-do list makes a big impact on um, your overall success and trajectory. That involves both uh, what I call a macro list, which is kind of your big picture objectives, and then reducing that macro list to a micro list that you're working from on a daily basis that identifies, say, three primary priorities that you're going to focus on and accomplish that day. And again, you also have to distill among and prioritize what those objectives are. So understanding, again, what matters and what doesn't is, is key. And then using, you know, something as simple as using your calendar, not as a place to book other people's priorities, but your own. I mean, oftentimes yeah. I think <laughs> that, if, you know, if you look at the typical lawyer's calendar, it's filled with meetings and tasks and duties that are set by other people, other people's priorities. And that's, of course, yeah. important and, and necessary, but you also need to schedule some time for yourself. You need to schedule time on your calendar to be able to accomplish things and blocks of time that you can that you hold sacrosanct that you can use to uh, to pursue those priorities. All right, that's good stuff. And especially for associates, if you're talking about someone else defining your calendar, 
that's pretty much a fact of life. So the extent to which you can take control of it, all the better, I think. So the extension on this, of course, is like, you're a law firm, you've got a lot of pressure, you're trying to build your business and your brand up as well while you're there. And then the third component here is like having a life outside of the firm. Like, how possible is it to do that, to get your billables in, build your brand, and also have some time to spend on yourself or with your family? while you're working in a firm as an associate? Well, I think it's not only possible, but it's necessary. I mean, at least if your objective is to not live a frantic, you know, empty life that you regret at the end of your career. I mean, sure, it's possible to achieve, you know, I'll use air quotes here, success as a <laughs> lawyer by being a, nothing but a workaholic. I mean, just look around you, I guess. I mean, there's lots of lawyers, I'm sure, at firms that people who are listening are working at who are successful in a conventional sense, who've made partner, achieve a high income, but are unhappy as a result. They have nothing else in their life to really look forward to or focus on. They've made work their thing. That's their hobby. I don't think that's really a way to live nor build a career around. Easier said than done, but <laughs> you need to find instances and interests outside of the office that will help you to sustain through the hard times of being a lawyer. Now, I'm not suggesting that you can ever achieve, you know, absolute work-life balance. I think that's a myth. Yeah. I don't even think that's yeah. a thing. <laughs> but it's about listening, you know, being purposeful and listening to that voice in your head that helps you to understand when things are way out of balance and that you need to take some steps to find balance and try to kind of correct course a little bit. Because if you're not conscious of that, then you will find yourself simply consumed by work and always focused on it. So, you know, when I work with lawyers, when I coach them on issues related to building a practice and what they want out of their careers, you know, I, I often tell them not to start. We don't, we don't want to start with where you're at because they're often looking for that short, sort of short-term quick fix to sort of solve and correct course with where they're at right now. But I ask them to look forward, yeah. say, 20 years and say, where do you want your life to be? And it's only by looking out and understanding what you want out of life, what your purpose is, that you can really start to work backward and make the changes that will make it possible to sustain and not burn out during the course of what's often a, a very stressful and challenging career. So you're telling me I should keep knitting? Yeah, <laughs> if okay. that's your thing, absolutely. <laughs> but that's the problem, though. I mean, most lawyers, I don't think, take the time to find a thing. So they need yeah. to think about that because that thing is going to be the thing that allows you to structure your day and prioritize it in such a way that you look forward to getting out of the office. I mean, many lawyers, I think, just get into a rut and their sort of concept of their self is that of a busy lawyer. And yeah. so when they don't have their hair on fire and are working, you know, 18 hours a day, they tend to hang around the office looking for the next thing because that's who they are. That's their identity. So you need to find an identity outside of the office as well that allows you to fill your time and structure your days in such a way that you can be looking forward to getting out, doing those interesting things, spending time with family, whatever it might be that, that is, you know, drives you outside of your career. You need to be able to keep that in mind so that you can you structure your work days in, in a way that allows you to get out of the office and get out into the world and do interesting things because it, this career will be all consuming if you allow it to be. Yeah. And I was just kidding. I don't really knit. So no one asked me for scarves or anything like that. As it turns out, my billable hours for this portion of the podcast are up. So let's take a brief pause and hear from our sponsors. 
Firm Central cloud-based legal practice management software for solo and small firms provides a single online location for all of the tools you need to manage client files and perform client work and offers unrivaled integration with Westlaw. With Firm Central, you can securely store and organize documents and case files, manage time tracking and billables, and collaborate with clients through a secure client portal from anywhere there is an internet connection. Do you feel like your marketing efforts aren't getting you the high-value cases your firm deserves? For over 15 years, Scorpion has helped thousands of law firms just like yours to attract new cases and to grow their practices. As a Google Premier Partner and winner of Google's Platform Innovator Award, Scorpion has the right resources and technology to aggressively market your law firm and to generate better cases from the internet. For more information, visit scorpionlegal.com forward slash podcast today. Hey, thanks for coming back. I stuck around and as luck would have it, so did Jay Harrington. We're talking about what it's really like to be an associate attorney and how to make the most of it. So Jay, we talked a little bit about the importance of brand building while in a law firm working as, as an associate. Can you talk a little bit more about that and potentially some about how possible it is to build a brand while working for somebody else? I think people find that concept to be difficult because it's obvious how you build a brand when you have your own law firm, but when you're working for somebody else, it's kind of tough to inject your personality into the marketing that you do, or tougher, I should say. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the thing to keep in mind is that, as many have probably heard or, or had heard others discuss, is that you, you, know, you have a brand whether you like it or not. So it's not a matter of building a brand per se. To me, it's more about crafting the brand you already have. I would ask everyone, all the listeners and lawyers listening to think about their, their colleagues, for example, and each of them has a brand, good or bad, because again, a brand is not what you think or say or project about yourself. It's what other people think or say about you. So even if you're working for someone else and you have little client interaction, for example, you're not out actively marketing, then you're still in a position to develop your brand, whether you like it or not. You have to, and you have to be conscious of it. And the good news is I think you can because you alone have the power to craft it. And that's the thing that's going to have a significant impact on your career. So, you know, the thing is when it comes to lawyers who are working in law firms who might not have that outside interaction as much, they need to think about how their brand is being projected internally. And that's really important because, you know, Everyone talks about the fact that as an associate, um, especially as a younger associate, your client is really the partners that you're working for. And so you need to be able to build a brand that appeals to them, that positions you in a positive light with those people and is authentic to who you are. So whether you're, again, working with and marketing actively outside of the firm to try to bring clients in, or your clients are, in fact, the people you're working for within the firm, you can definitely craft a brand that helps you and helps your career move forward in a way and in a direction that you want it to. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. That's a good way to look at it. Projecting a brand within the firm, I think, makes it more strategic as well for a lot of folks. Now, let's shift topics a little bit and talk a little bit about your new book and a little bit about your old book. So one major component of an attorney's branding can be a niche practice. And I know you're a big believer in niches. So how can an attorney working within a law firm still potentially work on a niche practice uh, when a lot of their work is assigned? Sure. So I would say the biggest thing to keep in mind as you're just mm -hmm. getting started 
is to start small. Don't set out with, and I guess I'll define with why, I guess why it might be important to have a niche in the first place. Uh, a niche would be a narrow area of focus for your career. It might yeah. be, you know, an industry with, for which you focus on a practice area specialty or sub-practice specialty that you have some area where you can become a master craftsman as opposed to a jack of all trades, a specialist versus a generalist. So it's incumbent upon you then to sort of start small and then you can kind of trade up the chain as you go. The best way to describe this is probably to look at a specific example. One of my favorites who's featured in both my first book and my new one is Mm -hmm. Scott Becker, who is a um, partner at McGuire Woods, you know, former chair of their healthcare practice, very successful lawyer, great person, and also runs a a publishing empire called Becker's Healthcare. And when he was a mid-level associate, you know, say probably 25 years ago now, he realized that in order to get control of his life and his career, he needed to build a practice. So he kind of went out and spoke to a mentor of his in the firm who encouraged him to focus on a niche, especially as just a mid-level associate at that point. So what Scott did was he kind of identified a few different areas within the healthcare sector, started doing some experimenting by producing a few newsletters and kind of just getting out into the marketplace and ultimately landed on one, which was surgical centers within the greater Chicago area. He started to dive deeper into that industry, continuing with his newsletter, starting to host small industry conferences. And then he became successful with that niche, started getting business, more business, and that allowed him to then advance to bigger sectors within the healthcare industry, starting to serve hospitals and then health systems, and ultimately, you know, crafting a very successful career for himself. So I think if we can follow that pattern of starting very small and then sort of trading up, laddering up, that's the path to success when it comes to establishing a niche. If you aim straight for the top, you'll never get there. I mean, it's the same process that companies like Amazon started with books, had an end in mind, which was dominating the world, but they started with books because they figured that was a market they could penetrate. Yep. Facebook yep. started at Harvard before taking over the world. All these things, all these companies do the same thing. I think lawyers can replicate that process. Now, one thing yep. to keep in mind is, yep. especially if you're a young lawyer, you're probably not going to be in a position like Scott Becker was, and, and the industry's changed, obviously, over that time, to necessarily go out into the marketplace and start, you know, developing business right away within a niche. So again, think internally, not externally. Brian McCarthy, who's the office managing partner of the Los Angeles office for Skadden, I spoke to him regarding my book and he gave some great insights on this topic, I think. And he talked about the importance for every young lawyer to become an expert in some small task or area that is of value to other lawyers within the firm. So that might be knowing the rules of civil procedure in your local courts inside and out. Or it might mean, you know, being the expert at making sure that a transaction, closing documents for a transaction, get to the right people, get signed and get back on time. These little things that you can become known for within your firm will then put you on the radar screen of people that matter. So even if it's not an industry niche or a practice area niche, because you're say a first or second year lawyer, there can be some process or project management system that Mm -hmm. you can own and be excellent at. And people will think of you for that thing and you'll build your brand as a result of having that niche expertise. Gotcha. That's some good stuff right there. Ladder up. I think you need t-shirts for that. I like that. I'd buy one of those. 
<laughs> Speaking of clothing options, while I look for my good Nehru jacket, let's listen to some more words from our sponsors. Is your firm experiencing missed calls, empty voicemail boxes, and potential clients you'll never hear from again? Enter Answer One Virtual Receptionists. They're more than just an answering service. Answer One's available 24 7. They can even schedule appointments, respond to emails, integrate with Clio, and much more. Answer One helps make sure your clients have the experience they deserve. Give them a call yourself at 800 Answer One or visit them at answerone.com forward slash podcast for a special offer. Hey, thanks for coming back after break number two. How was your sky bar? Uh, let's get rolling again with Jay Harrington of Harrington Marketing, who's telling me how law firm associates can make the most of what they do. So let's talk a little bit about some of the technical aspects of marketing. So how should law firm associates be splitting their time between networking or in-person marketing and web marketing? I think this gets back to the issue of prioritization. You're only one person with limited time for things like networking and marketing. So you need to prioritize. So I'd say, if I had to say the best thing to do, it would be to assess your, your current network and your contacts and identify those who you deem to be high priority and think about based on you know the niche that you're pursuing, who are the other influential people within that niche that you'd like to get to know that would have an mm -hmm. impact on your career. And yeah. I'd reserve my time for networking, that one-on-one -on -one sort of high-touch strategy for that relatively small universe of people. Say there's 25 people on your high-priority list. Focus on them for you know one-on-one -on -one networking. Same goes for what kind of networking events and conferences that you attend. Again, you have limited yeah. time, so think about the ones that matter most, where mm -hmm you know, the influencers and potential clients and referral sources that are associated with the industry or niche that you're pursuing are congregating, spend your time there. Yeah. Now, as far as web strategy, again, that's a way to sort of scale yourself. I think that, you know, when you think about your personal brand, one of the best aspects of having a powerful personal brand is, is that it allows you to scale yourself in some sense, just like a business scales in order to serve a broader group of people or customers Yep. Your personal brand can help you scale because you can't be everywhere at once, but your personal brand can be the thing that sells you when you're not there to sell yourself. So yep. use social media, use email, use digital tools to spread your message, stay in touch with people, with your broad network, use that, write articles, distribute that so you can, you can express your thought leadership to people that you may not be able to get in touch with one-on-one -on -one all the time. And that way, though, you can still maintain that broader network while focusing most of your attention on your high priority network. That sounds great. Those are good strategy pointers right there. So let's talk about what it's like to work within specific firms before we finish this up. So what internal resources are there available for law firm associates who want to market themselves uh, more effectively, like within the firm that they can access? Yeah, I think there's a ton, really. And mm -hmm. and. Many of them are overlooked, so identify a few here, but uh, I think one would be just the resources, the financial resources that firms make available for marketing or marketing-related activities. This would yeah. include budgets for learning, you know, taking courses or attending conferences. I think oftentimes that's not tapped into. Budgets for marketing. I think associates sometimes think, again, because they're not actively pitching business, that they aren't really marketing or they're not in a position to be marketing yet. But I think marketing and business development are very related, but marketing is what sort of warms up business development. So if you're an associate, think about business development down the road 
but use marketing budget to take out, to launch people that, again, are in your high priority network, who you're going to sort of grow with and that will be in a position to refer you work or hire you directly down the road. Use those dollars that are made available. Publish on the, within the publications that are made available by your firm, the blogs, the newsletters, the other resources that the firm has established that oftentimes are, you know, starved for resources. They're looking for people to contribute to those types of things. And you've got yeah. a, uh, you've got an act- active network to publish on. Work with your marketing and communications team and people at your firm. I think oftentimes there's a disconnect between lawyers and the marketing team. And I think the marketing team, you know, in the course of our consulting practice, we work with a number of marketing departments at different firms. And I think they'd love to have that more direct feedback and sort of teamwork integration with the attorneys to better understand how they as marketers can help support the business developers within the firm. Mm-hmm. They can go out, if they understand what your niche is and what your objectives are as an attorney in terms of building your practice, they can then go out and seek PR opportunities and establish relationships with editors within industries that, you know, editors of trade publications within industries you're focused on. So work with those people. Tap into the partners and mentors. Observe and develop relationships and spend time and ask questions of the successful lawyers within your firm and then model your behavior after them. I think that's a resource that should be tapped into. And then there's little things like many firms have like a, a you know, professional proofreaders on staff. Utilize those resources. If you're writing something for outside publication, send it to the copy editors and proofreaders within your firm so they can really help you polish your work. You know, your writing and and other forms of thought leadership are what is representing you in the marketplace of ideas. So make it make it the best you can. So I think those are some areas that I would focus on internally that maybe are overlooked a bit. Good stuff, man. I like that. All right. Last question in terms of this. How about differences between small firm, large firm? Like a lot of the resources that you're talking about, like proofreaders, for example, those are big firm resources. Say you're an associate within a smaller law firm. How is it different to go about creating a brand? And then what resources could you leverage in that space? Yeah, no, that's that's a great question. And I, I mean, I've worked in both environments. I've worked in, a, you know, SCADN, which is obviously a massive firm with huge resources available to you. Mm-hmm. And I also ran my own small firm where I was, uh, you know, had to be the, the scrappy entrepreneur. And it's different, but, you know, in many ways, the small firm environment for that entrepreneurial-minded young lawyer is the ideal environment because there aren't all of the, there's not all the red tape that's involved with doing some of the things that may be leading edge that might, whether it be frowned upon or just would have so much red tape involved, you can never do them at a big firm. Like, for example, you know, if I was a young lawyer right now and I was really focused on building a niche and a name for myself within a particular space, starting a podcast would be a great avenue to do that where that might be difficult to do at a big firm. You know, and then you also have certain other advantages like, more flexibility in terms of billing rates. You are in more of a position to go out and develop business at an earlier point in your career because there's a different financial structure involved and oftentimes have more flexibility to do things like that. So I, I think that just while you're an associate, a young associate at a, a big law firm, oftentimes you need to think more entrepreneurial, you know, being more entrepreneurial within your firm environment. At a small firm, you're able to act much more entrepreneurial, meaning going out and really 
conducting business outside of the firm and trying to draw people into it in terms of clients, you've got really, uh, you know, that flexibility. And so that requires you to think more creatively and not just rely on like the resources to spread the word or to throw at, you know, your marketing issues. You need to be able to think creatively and think about new ways to reach markets. But I think that's really not necessarily a disadvantage. I think it's a, it can be a big advantage. Very nice. You put a nice ball on that, my friend. So my last question for you is this. You're married, you work with your wife, you have three daughters. When was the last time someone in your home was embarrassed by your behavior? <laughs> um, all right. Uh, that's, I've got, that's, that's ripe ground for, uh, for picking hair. So I thought so. Um, well, let's see. I, my oldest is eight years old and I coach her soccer team. And yep. just last night we had to practice and I don't know if you're familiar with the new dance craze going on through the, uh, you know, the elementary and middle schools around the country, but it's called the floss. I saw it the other day performed. Yes. Yeah. Some of the girls on the team are trying to teach me how to floss uh, oh, on the soccer field. And I was a willing participant, but my daughter was, you know, obviously horrified at my behavior <laughs> and my, and my lack of dancing skills. So <laughs> how were that you was, that's probably the most recent example. Were you okay? How'd you do? Uh, my hip's a little, yeah, I got a little hip issue this morning, but otherwise I'm good. You know, maybe start with the Dougie, you know, just to, just to, just to start a couple years back. That was, that was good stuff. I like that. I'll just ease in. Nothing like being an embarrassing dad. It's the life. So this was fun. And that'll do it for this episode of the Legal Toolkit. We've been talking to my friend Jay Harrington of the Harrington Marketing Agency. And we've been specifically chatting about the myriad ways associate attorneys can market themselves. Now, I'll be back on future shows with further insights into my soul, the soul of America, and the legal market. If you're feeling nostalgic for my dulcet tones, however, you can check out our entire show archive anytime you want at LegalTalkNetwork.com. So thanks again to Jay Harrington for coming on the show today and putting up with me. So, all right, Jay, tell your public once more about what you do and where they can find out more about what you do. Thanks, Jared, and thanks for having me on. This was a lot of fun. So I am a legal marketing consultant. I own an agency called Harrington. You can find us at hcommunications.biz.biz. We work with law firms, and I also coach individual attorneys, um, primarily in the areas of business development and marketing and personal branding. And as we talked about during the podcast, I have written a couple of books. The most recent one called The Essential Associate is available at theessentialassociate.com available for purchase there as well as on Amazon. So look forward to hearing from anyone that uh, wants to touch base regarding legal marketing, branding, or anything else. All right, folks, you heard it here. Go pick up a copy. And thanks again to Jay Harrington of Harrington, who crushed it today. Finally, thanks to all of you out there for listening. And please tell my kids to do the same when I talk to them. Thanks for listening to Legal Toolkit, produced by the broadcast professionals at Legal Talk Network. Join host Jared Correa for his next podcast covering the current business trends for law firms. If you'd like more information about today's show, please visit LegalTalkNetwork.com. Subscribe via iTunes and RSS. Find Legal Talk Network on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Or download the free app from Legal Talk Network in Google Play and iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. 
None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Workers' Comp Matters is a podcast dedicated to exploring the laws, the landmark cases, and the true stories that define our workers' compensation system. I'm Judd Pierce, and together with Alan Pierce, we host a different guest each month as we bring to life this diverse area of the law. Join us on Workers' Comp Matters on the Legal Talk Network.